Good morning, everyone. Open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke and turn to the last chapter, chapter 24. Wonderful song to set our minds on what was accomplished not only on the cross, but in Jesus' life and death and resurrection from the dead. And we're continuing to consider that work from Luke 24, particularly how the scriptures reveal to us who Christ is and what Christ was going to accomplish in his life, death, and resurrection. From Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of, some, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now let us pray. Our Father in heaven, now as we come before you, give us, Lord, the help that we need. We pray, Lord, that as you opened the scriptures for Cleopas and the other disciple, that you would indeed open the scriptures for us this morning, that our eyes would be able to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for us. May we have hearts willing to receive it and believe. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I am definitely not the most efficient grocery shopper. Past uh, two months, our son Luther 
playing on a flag football team for the Norfolk YMCA, and they held practices on Tuesday and uh, sometimes on, on Thursday nights. And so at least once a week, I would bring Luther uh, to Norfolk, and on a few occasions, Greta would give me a list of items to pick up at Hy-Vee while I was in town, and most of the time, they were things I was quite familiar with and, and could find fairly easily in the store, but not always. On more than one occasion, there would be something on the list that I, I thought I knew where it was, and so would uh, you know, push the grocery cart uh, to uh, that aisle, only to realize that it's not there. It's not there. So then I'd go on a search, uh, often going, going back to where I was, you know, going up and down uh, different aisles, uh, looking all around, and until finally, you know, finally asking someone, wearing a helpful smile um, there at Hy-Vee, if uh, it would help me to find the product that I was looking for. And, uh, of course, they would quite often point me to that very aisle where I thought it was in the first place, just on a different shelf, uh, somewhere else in that aisle that I, I hadn't thought it would, it, it would be there. And so, of course, I'd, right, I'd walk right past that thing several times, um, even looking in that general direction of where it was and just not seeing it. So for some reason, the kind of thing happens to me a lot in grocery stores. Um, maybe I have a, a sort of a grocery blindness uh, where I'm just unable to see things that, that are right there on the shelf until someone else, you know, is able to point them out for me to see. That was the problem of these two disciples as they're on their way to Emmaus. They, they didn't have grocery blindness, they had a spiritual blindness. There's also the problem of most of the other disciples and everyone in Jerusalem who, who had railed against Jesus and, and had Jesus crucified. They were blinded to the reality that he really was the Messiah. And also they were not able to see that the scriptures taught that when Messiah came, that he must suffer in the way Jesus did, and then enter into his glory. They were assuming, of course, that when Messiah comes, he'd enter his glory. They didn't realize how the scriptures taught that he must first suffer. So they were like me, walking right by the, the cream of mushroom soup in the grocery aisle, unable to see it, though it was right there in front of me each time I walked by. Uh, they, they, they could have known all about what the Christ uh, was going to have to go through. It was all there in the scriptures for them to see the whole time, but they were just unable to see it until Jesus came and opened their eyes. So our main theme of uh, this portion of scripture this morning from Luke 24 is that Christ is revealed in all of scripture, but we need eyes, we need our eyes and our hearts opened to see him and believe. We have a problem. We're spiritually blind. And so we need our eyes and our hearts opened to see him revealed in the scriptures and believe. As we, we pick up our story here in verse 13, it is the very same day, the third day after the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. This was the day after the Sabbath. This is the first day of the week. And so many of the Jews 
who had gathered in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover were now beginning their journey home and away from the city. That seems to be what these two disciples were doing as they made their way to a village known as Emmaus. Uh, We are not told exactly who these disciples were. Uh, Luke names one of them for us, a man named Cleopas, but he doesn't name the other one. Uh, They could have been two men or could have been Cleopas and his wife, which would make a lot of sense, uh, but we are not sure, not told specifically about that. Uh, What we do know is that they were among those who were following Jesus, which, as we all know, was a group of both men and women. Now, this is an amazing resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus made personally to uh, these two in which they received some eye-opening Bible teaching from the Lord Jesus. Uh, We are shown three main things here, which many of us have also experienced. Many of us in this room can relate well to these two disciples. Luke knows that uh, Luke knows that he knows that we can relate well to them, and that's why we are shown these things here. So the three things that we're shown are number one, uh, the trouble with our spiritual blindness. Uh, number two, our inability to see and believe the scriptures, and number three, the great joy of having our eyes opened and our hearts opened to see and know the Lord Jesus. So first, let's look at the trouble with our spiritual blindness there, verses 13 through 24. Now, uh, I I love this passage in Luke's gospel. In fact, as we are now close to the end of the gospel of Luke, I think that Luke might be my favorite of the four gospels, Uh, though I also said that about the gospel of Mark uh, about 10 10 years ago when I finished preaching Mark. Uh, But uh, I think Luke really enjoyed writing this passage, including this passage in here at the end of his uh, gospel, knowing that it would put a smile on the faces of his readers. I mean, doesn't it make you smile when you hear Luke tell the story? Can, can you sense the humor of the situation? I, I don't know if Luke intended it to be humorous exactly. I, I know that he meant it to be ironic. And that irony can, can make us smile. I mean, it, it's obvious that he meant it to be ironic because it's thick with irony, especially in verse 18. We're going to take a look at verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered Jesus after Jesus had asked about what, what they're talking about. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So the, the two disciples are talking about all that happened to Jesus as, as they were traveling together, which, which we ourselves could, could learn from, you know, that very uh, fact. How often is Jesus the subject of our conversations, even with other believers? How often are our conversations focused on spiritual things, things that may, we, we may not understand the Bible is, is teaching us, talking about that with other believers? I mean, this is... This is a great thing to do for, as I've often said before, if, if Christians never talk about Jesus with one another, well, then we'll never talk about Jesus with anybody else either, with unbelievers, which is something we're called to do. But notice what happened while they are talking about what happened to Jesus as they walked. Luke tells us Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
There can be no greater encouragement for us to have gospel conversations with one another. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But they didn't recognize him because verse 16 says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. In the Greek, uh, that line, their eyes were kept, is known as a divine passive participle, meaning they were unable uh, to see because God had kept them from seeing. God had kept them from recognizing Jesus. He had a purpose for keeping them in the dark for the moment, and part of the purpose was to teach us something about our spiritual condition. So Jesus asked them what they were talking about, and they stopped dead in their tracks, and they stood still, and Jesus could see how sad they were, and this tells us they were not trying to be funny, even though if you think about it, verse 18 may be the most ironic verse in the whole Bible. Again, Cleopas looks at Jesus, looks at, looks at Jesus, looks at the Son of God, uh, and the one they were talking about, and says to him, are you the only visitor? to Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? That would have been like Scott Frost walking into a coffee shop in Waverly the day after he was fired and asking the old retired men there drinking coffee, hey, what are you all talking about? They may have responded to him in the same way. Are you the only one in the whole state of Nebraska? that doesn't know what's happened? When Jesus plays dumb here and asks Cleopas, what things? What things had happened in Jerusalem? Cleopas goes on to describe all the things that happened to Jesus himself in verses 19 to 24. Jesus was at the center of everything they were talking about. And they were incredibly troubled and, and confused by it all. But, but for you and me, as the readers of Luke's gospel, we are well aware that all of it was about the very person they were talking with who had just shown up at the very time when they were talking about how confused they were in regards to all that happened to him. And we also know that everything that had happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, all of these things, as it says, well, they were all part of God's divine plan for the Christ. It makes sense to us. We are able to see here what human blindness looks like from God's perspective. Here, these disciples were trying to explain to the stranger who Jesus was and what happened to him. When Jesus not only knows what happened, since, of course, everything revolved around him, but he was also the only one in Jerusalem who knew of the divine, eternal significance of these things. Do you remember what Jesus did just after he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a week before this encounter? Uh, in Luke 19, 41 through 44, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, lamenting in verse 41, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. And then he says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And at the end of the week, 
Those in Jerusalem proved their blindness to the things that would make for peace. For instead of humbling themselves before the Son of God, they crucified him as an imposter. God had, had come to them in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Their divine Savior had come and they rejected him and put him to death. As Jesus said then in, in verse 44 of chapter 19, they did not know the time of their visitation. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the religious leaders of the Jews were mocking him by saying, if you really are the Son of God, come down off that cross. They're saying, look, he, he, he saved others, but he, but he can't save himself. They're saying, what a joke of a Savior he is if you really are the King. Well, then just get off that cross. Then we'll believe you. Then we'll worship you. And again, as the readers, as the readers here, we know he really is the, the Son of God. We know he really is the King, the Savior, and that he proved it not by coming down off the cross, but by staying on and giving up his life for the sins of his people in order to save them from God's judgment. And now, in Luke 24, he is risen from the dead, showing that he truly is the Lord of all and that he had conquered death, but they couldn't see him for who he was. As all of Jerusalem couldn't see him for who he was. So friends, this shows us that, that in our natural condition, we aren't able to see Jesus for who he really is. We won't see him as the Lord. We won't see him as the King. We won't see him as our Savior unless our eyes are opened to see him and our hearts are transformed to humble ourselves before him. We are being shown here that we all have this spiritual blindness that must be taken away if we are to truly know Christ and be saved. As Cleopas ends his explanation in verse 24 with the disciples who went to the empty tomb, but him, uh, but him they did not see, he says. But him they did not see. The only ones who will see the resurrected Christ will be those who, who will be given eyes to see him. Secondly, our, our inability to see and believe what the scriptures have said. So now Jesus responds to the disciples with a rebuke that might sound a little harsh to our ears. We're looking at verses 25 through 27. So here's verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Here he points out that the issue isn't that they were blinded to the reality of, what's, of uh, what must happen to the Christ because of some you know, natural ailment, like you know, accusing someone of, of deliberately bumping into you who is physically unable to see. Instead, Jesus is saying that their blindness to who the Christ really had uh, to be, and why he had to suffer as he did, was due to their unbelief. 
It was a, it was a, a willful blindness. O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Our sin and unbelief leads to our blindness to spiritual truths. Like the Son of God becoming man and having to suffer the horrors of the cross because of our sin and guilt. Our spiritual blindness is a condition that, that we have because of our sin and our rebellion against God. We, we, we can't blame God for it. We are the ones responsible. We are the ones who are stubbornly slow of heart to believe. Like our sin, this, this spiritual blindness can only be removed by a divine work of grace causing us to be born again and granting us eyes of faith to see and believe what the scriptures teach us about Jesus. And this is why any preacher who, who really knows the Bible will pray before he preaches. Traditionally, it is referred to as the, the prayer of illumination. It's a prayer asking for the Holy Spirit to, in effect, shine a light on the Bible text so our blind eyes can see what it is actually saying. We are utterly dependent upon God if we're going to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what God is really saying to us through these scriptures. We need him. We need his help. So do you pray for God's help before you read the Bible each day? Prayer and the word must go together. Uh, maybe just pray something like Psalm 119, verse 18, before you read the Bible, which simply says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. From what we have seen in Luke 24, the Lord wants us to know and understand the scriptures. And so, therefore, he will joyfully grant us our request if we humbly ask him. Now, I don't know if you noticed this. Maybe you did. But there is a big difference between what Cleopas pointed to when he began to talk about Jesus to this uh, supposed stranger that was asking him and what Jesus himself pointed them to when he began to explain things about himself. So look back at verse 19. Uh, Cleopas pointed to Jesus' miracles and teaching in order to explain who he was. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, was, uh, he was a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Cleopas pointed to Jesus' reputation. This is what he was known for. It is a description that almost anyone in the streets of Jerusalem would have agreed with. They would have heard the same things about him. But when Jesus begins to talk about himself, where does Jesus point them to? Not to his works. Not even to his teaching. He doesn't point them to his reputation about how others talked about him, but to what the scriptures said about him. Look again, verse 25. O foolish ones, a slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So friends, here is another incredibly helpful lesson for us. Mark this one down if you haven't done that already. Jesus is saying here, if you want to know him, if you want to know who he is, or if you want someone else to know Jesus, then you must go to the Bible. You must point them to the Bible. Don't just talk about your experience with him. Don't just talk about you know, how he changed your life, although those are really good things. Go to the book. Get out your Bible and you will see him there. Of course, praying for God's help to open eyes to see him, but, but here is where Jesus goes. You know, Jesus says here, in fact, you will find him everywhere in the scriptures. All the scriptures are about him. All, as, as, as the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible writes, every story whispers his name. These two disciples needed to see Jesus first revealed in the scriptures before Jesus would allow them to recognize him in person. And it will be the same for us and everyone we encounter. They must see him first here before they'll see him with their eyes. So Jesus is saying here that the Old Testament scriptures clearly pointed to him. Then he interpreted the whole of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, uh, which were the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, which was a way of saying all the rest of the books of uh, the, the, the uh, Old Testament, and, and showed them what those books said about himself, par- particularly how they taught that the Messiah must suffer before entering his glory. And this refers to the fact that throughout the Old Testament, we are shown how God brought his chosen leaders first through suffering and then to glory. Think of Abraham. Think of Isaac and Jacob. Particularly Joseph. The suffering that those men went through prior to being elevated. And then Moses. Just think of the nation of Israel as a whole. How they went through much suffering in Egypt before they were delivered and given the promised land. And and King David all had to live through periods of great trial, great suffering and darkness before God exalted them into the positions of greatness. That pattern that we see in Scripture was all pointing God's people to the Christ. They should not have been so shocked and surprised that he also, as he says, should suffer these things before entering into his glory. And then you have all the examples of sacrifices on behalf of the people in the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden, after our first parents, Adam and Eve, had sinned against God and and eaten from the tree from which God had said that if they ate, they would surely die, but they didn't die. Instead, some animals died in their place, and God used the skins of those animals to provide a covering for the man and the woman, that their shame would be covered. And then, when the Lord was sending the angel of death into Egypt as the final plague to kill the firstborn of each household, he commanded his people to kill a spotless lamb instead and spread the blood over their their doorposts as a covering, 
And when the angel saw the blood, he would pass over the house, and the firstborn sons would live and not die. Then with each sacrifice that God commanded the people to make in the tabernacle and later the temple, and in particular on the day of atonement when one goat would be killed on behalf of the people and the priest would ceremoniously then lay the sins of the people on the other goat and that goat would then be driven out of the camp, out of the city, into the wilderness to carry the people's sins away from them. Each of those sacrifices were pointing toward what Christ had just accomplished for his people on the cross, dying in their place, outside the camp, outside the city, making atonement for them. God placed their sins on him, the spotless lamb, laying down his life, and then suffering God's wrath against sin in their place. The Old Testament books were never meant to be the end point of God's revelation to his people, they were always meant to show us the character and plans of the Lord, pointing us forward to the coming of his son, the fulfillment of his saving work, and and then the, the great spread of the good news to the nations so people from every tribe and tongue could come and worship the God of Israel and be a part of his kingdom. I heard one pastor put it this way, the Bible is is, is kind of like a very good mystery novel. Maybe you enjoy reading mystery novels, maybe you don't, or maybe you've seen a, a few movie versions of good mystery novels, where the first part of the story always contains many different clues. Some are pretty noticeable, some not so much. But you move through the story, and then you finally reach the end, and the mystery is solved. And all of those clues that, that, that you saw throughout the story, they kind of come together in a way that you never expected. And once you know the end of the story, well then, you can go back and look through the book and see, oh, of course, it's so obvious now what that was pointing to, what that was referring to. So you can't fully understand the end of the story without the beginning, as you also can't really understand what was going on in the beginning without knowing the end. And Scripture is like that too. Jesus has just given us the interpretive key to understanding the Old Testament, and it is about him. So when you read it, look for those clues that point to him and God's plan to redeem this world through him. And then finally, uh, we see the great joy of having our eyes and hearts open to see and know the Lord Jesus. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he, sent, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to, to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. 
saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. After such a memorable Sunday stroll in which these two disciples had to be thrilled as the Lord Jesus led them through an explanation of how the scriptures pointed to what they knew had just happened to the Christ, they then experience a meal they will never forget. What a day. What a day for these two. For it is while they are at the table, while Jesus blessed and broke the bread and gave it to them, just as he had done when he fed the 5,000, their eyes were suddenly opened. Again, it's another divine passive participle here. God was the one giving them sight to see and finally recognize Jesus. And then he's gone. And then he's gone. He vanished from their sight. And this is such a great illustration of what takes place as we read the Scriptures. For as we walk through the Old Testament books, reading them, and considering the stories and the characters and God's interaction with his people, and then especially when we walk through the prophetic writings, it is almost as if Jesus is right there walking with us. He's right there walking with us there in the books, though we don't quite recognize him until we get to the New Testament, right? To the Gospels. And bam, there he is. There he is. In the Gospels, we see his life, we see his teaching, and then his death and resurrection, and then all of a sudden, he's gone. He's gone. Far too soon, we think. But when he leaves at the end of the Gospels, we see in the rest of of the New Testament, his witnesses, those who saw him, those who followed him, those who heard his teaching, those who had been given eyes to see and recognize him in the Scriptures, they begin spreading the news about him, passing down that message to others, and now, friends, that message has come to us. This couple here was overjoyed when they realized it was Jesus that had been with them the whole time. It was Jesus uh, who, as they put it, opened to us the scriptures. And it was Jesus who had just spent a good part of his first day of resurrection life with them. What a privilege. So just like most believers whose eyes are finally opened to see and know Jesus. They, they couldn't keep the news to themselves. They, they had to tell others, so they headed right back to where they came from. They headed right back to Jerusalem. Most scholars believe that they had arrived in Emmaus probably in mid-afternoon. But no doubt, uh, they had double-timed it back uh, on, on, on their trip back to, to, to Jerusalem, and now that, that, that upper room where the disciples were gathered together was full of joy and laughter rather than confusion and sorrow, for Christ had risen, he had risen indeed. Have you experienced that great joy? Have you experienced that great joy of having having your eyes opened to see and know the Lord Jesus is your Savior? 
when you hear his word proclaimed or spend time yourself reading it and meditating on his word, does, does your heart ever burn within you as you see his glory revealed? And then, and then you feel the weight of conviction on your heart for your sin, for your unbelief, but yet you also rejoice in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's, it's finished. It is finished. It was finished on that cross. It's done. And so then you praise God. You praise God. Your eyes have been opened. You praise God. You know you belong to him through Christ. Have you experienced that? You know that joy? Well, if not, then pray. Pray. Come before God and confess your sin, confess your need for him to save you, for him to, to open your eyes to see Jesus revealed in his word, to be given spiritual sight to see and know the Lord Jesus as your king, as your savior. And he will be pleased. He will delight in opening your eyes to see him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word and for the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that by your grace, you open blind eyes to see him. We pray, Lord, you would do that work amongst us here this morning. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to know. Give us the conviction to believe and follow him all the way to glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.